Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, episode 50. I'm Tian Nduyeb and like US President Donald Trump, I am also concerned that Obama has ordered tapping for my home. Sorry, I mean I'm concerned a plumber hasn't ordered taps for my home. Either way, there's leaks coming from somewhere and when I find out who's responsible, they'll be hell to pay. Sorry, I mean the undersink well might go away. Well look, basically, it's the samesies. Yes, right now US politics is like a novel jointly written by both John le Carré and Hanna-Barbera as merely days after Trump supposedly acted presidential because, you know, he was able to read a speech he didn't likely write off an autocue which, by the way, I'm reading this right now off a computer screen and I wrote it myself so listen America, I'm willing to be there in 2020 if you want me, just give me a call. Just days after Trump managed not to say anything completely ludicrous over a very short period of time, and now everyone thinks that he deserves praise for that, like you might praise a child that finally learnt not to pick its nose and eat it because now it's just picking its nose and therefore that's an upgrade to what you had. Just days after that, Trump ruined his temporary appearance at being a semi-functioning adult by proclaiming outrage that the former president, you know, the one that everyone now misses, had ordered wiretaps in Trump Tower. Now, there's no evidence that Obama has done this, and it seems that Trump got the information from the internet's pubescent tantrum Breitbart, rather than any actual intelligence source. But let's be fair, why would Obama want to tap the melted Satsuma's phones? I mean, if he wanted to know Trump's private thoughts, Obama could just check his Twitter feed at 4am in the morning. Wool weaving of an infected Bunyan Trump has signed a revised version of his travel ban, but this time not including Iraq, because yes mate, that was clearly what was stopping it being a good idea in the first place. Assuming that the ban is now fixed because it no longer includes Iraq is like assuming that the unsolicited dick pic you sent everyone on your phone when drunk can be fixed by sending it again, but this time excluding the number you have for your doctor. Meanwhile, on home shores, the Department of International Trade, which I'm starting to believe more and more is all about blocking any of it rather than promoting it, is looking at deals with African Commonwealth nations in a move Whitehall officials are apparently describing as Empire 2.0. Yeah, because that's how to persuade those African nations to trade with us, isn't it? I mean, why not just name the plan, we're back for the rest of your gold, dickheads, or hey, the British Museum is low on stock again, you know, and be done with it. Aside from this being an archaic, horrific notion that harks back to colonialism and slavery, it's just a shitty, terrible idea. I mean... 
they know what to expect this time, and if we just turn up shouting and pointing at things with a big flag, they'll probably just shoot us. I mean, saying that, if we're sending total disgrace, disgrace Liam Fox and double disgrace over first, then I say let's give him the biggest fuck off Union Jack we can find, and fingers crossed, hope for the best. Labour have been pushing for more transparency, which would be nice as, for the past few years, it's been very unclear what their plan is. Actually, uh, the Labour Party are saying that anyone in high office should be made to publish their tax returns. The Chancellor Philip Hammond and Prime Minister Theresa May have refused to do that, as there is no long-standing convention for it. Well, if the government only do things there is a long-standing convention for, then you wonder why they're spending quite so much time on Brexit instead of, say, nationalising Morris dancing for the people. Jeremy Corbyn did publish his tax returns, leading many to say that he had forgotten to declare 40k of his income. But it appears that actually he'd... Oh, God, look, it's really, really boring. It's really boring, but look, he'd done it all properly and put things in different places. And if nothing else, maybe it proves that everyone should publish their tax returns as definitive proof that our tax system is so overcomplicated that no one has a fucking clue how it works, even those who are meant to be in charge of it. UKIP's main donor and what happens when you anthropomorphise an asshole, Aaron Banks, has said that he'll run against UKIP's only MP, Douglas Carswell, in 2020 in Clacton. Because I'm sure it'll be easy for a millionaire no one's heard of except when he said the families of Hillsborough victims were milking a tragedy, I'm sure it'll be easy for him to be voice of the working people over an MP who's kept his seat since 2005. If nothing else, it might just divide the UKIP vote in Clacton, ensuring that neither of them win and therefore creating the first bit of good news we've had since around 2007. Oh, and Theresa May has given up crisps for Lent. Though, let's be fair, when it comes to the crunch, she's often lacking anyway. May didn't specify what her favourite type of crisps are, but judging by how she treated peaceful protesters when she was Home Secretary, it's kettled. Partly listeners, we've made it to the big 5-0 like Mother Frickin' Hawaii, or Ways to Leave Your Lover, or The Article or something, which I guess means I should probably leave after this. Actually, I think 50 episodes means that this show is now in a pod life crisis, which means I'll have to do the next one from a motorbike while wearing a leather jacket or something and filling it with references for much younger listeners. I mean, I would never do that to you, uh, though mostly because it took me months to realise that dabs was a dance move and not the plural for digital radio. Who knew? Uh, If you've been with this show from the beginning, then thank you so, so much for enduring over 50 hours of bad gags, self-taught reporting and loads and loads of interesting interviews with people who actually know stuff. I certainly feel like, if nothing else, I've learned an awful lot doing this show, except maybe that one episode about Syria. But I very much hope that you have as well. Um, If you are a new listener, you are, of course, also very, very welcome. Uh, Why not go back over the last 50 episodes and hear just quite how wrong I've been about how people in the world might vote for things? Yes, I really will leave getting it wrong about voting to the experts. Look, 50 episodes deep, uh, I've got a bit of a favour to ask you, the lovely listener. And no, not the usual favours, you know, the ones about how if you review the show on iTunes, it'd be really helpful because uh, it really is helpful to do that for other people that might want to listen. And it would be very helpful if you could do that. Or maybe even how you could review it on Stitcher as well, even though I don't really know what that is. Uh, Nor is it a favour about how if you have a spare dollar or pound or even a rare Hungarian Kek franc, then you could donate to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash parpolbro to gain extra occasional stuff and allow me to spend more time and money on this show for the next 50 plus episodes and 50 episodes after that um big mega thanks to dave and stacy for donating to the patreon this past week and also to chris who mega thanks to chris upped his monthly donation which was crazy lovely of him and has made him basically my bff um if you don't want to do a monthly thing uh, the ace people at kofi have finally given me a personalized link so i don't have to waffle loads of numbers and did uh, numbers and digits there 
they're the same thing. Numbers and letters at you. Um, so if you don't want to do the monthly Patreon thing uh, or you're not happy using dollars instead of pounds, uh, you can throw me a one-off for a few quid uh, for a coffee, which I'm not going to use for a coffee. I'll use it for a tea and I'll keep the change for a biscuit because I'm no chump. Um, if you want to do that, you can go to ko-fi.com forward slash parpolbro. Oh, yeah, proper link in the his house. Um, so, look, no, though, it's none of those favours uh, that I normally mention. And, in fact, because it's none of those, I'm not even going to mention them. <clears throat> Instead... Uh, there are lots and lots of you listeners out there, which is pretty much the only reason I keep doing this show. Otherwise, I could just shout bits of it at people in the park. Although my local park is mainly full of professional dog walkers, and I reckon I'd get bitten to shit if I tried. But there are loads of you, uh, but this show is nowhere near any of the iTunes or any other podcast charts, which means that it's kind of stuck with the amount of listeners that it has, which is great, but it would be nice to get more on board. Um, so there is a lovely initiative happening this month, set up by a US podcast producer, uh, and it's called hashtag tripod t-r-y-p-o-d where people are using the hashtag to recommend podcasts they like on twitter or other social media to new listeners Uh, similarly people who make podcasts also recommend shows that they like on their shows so if you could all recommend this to other people i would be hugely hugely grateful um grateful i'd I'd be full of grapes i would be so full of grapes uh which probably mean i'd be whining a bit eh um no i'd be very grateful and if you're doing it on social media, use the hashtag tripod, T-R-Y-P-O-D, as in tripod, um, you know, and use that until the end of March. That's how long the initiative's going for. Um, and in return, doing my bit, doing my bit as well, right? It's a two-way thing, isn't it? Um, here are some of my favourite podcasts that I like listening to, and I'll do some this week. I'll do some later in the month, because it's the whole month. Um, the first is the Talking Politics podcast. Uh, if you're not already on that, it's great. Very fascinating, very useful for a different, actually informed view on current happenings. Um, it's done at Cambridge University, so there's various politics experts, professors and students, and then different guests every week. Uh, there's one with Mary Beard from a couple of weeks ago that is particularly fascinating and very worth a listen. Um, also, I've plugged it many times before, but Abe Lincoln's Top Hat is my go-to for US politics at the moment. Uh, if you remember several episodes back... Uh, Uh, had Ben Kissel, one of the hosts on this show just after Trump was elected. Um, And the way that him and his co-host Marcus Parks discuss things is really down to earth and hugely explanatory and often very, very funny as well. So definitely worth a listen. Um, And lastly for this week, I mean, not that he really needs more listeners because he's doing bloody well. um, There's Comedian's Comedian podcast uh, by Stuart Goldsmith, which is the first thing I listen to every week. And he's a bloody lovely man, Stuart, an excellent comic who is brilliantly skilled at chatting with comics about how and why they write what they do um so do go subscribe to all of those things give them a listen tripod them try tripod them do it um right last two things before we crack on with this week's show um firstly if you're hearing this before march the 12th and you live in or near glasgow or you've heard about glasgow on the telly or in a book um come and see me and the brilliant comedian beck hill at the glasgow comedy festival uh we're both doing works in progress shows uh but beck's is is really good this is more like it doesn't need to progress much more it's nearly there um and march my show i mean i have at least one joke so together that's at least an hour and a joke's worth um we're at the hug and pint on march the 12th and i believe it starts at 7 p.m but do check that because i'm an idiot and there are currently loads and loads of tickets left but i'm sure that's just because you know no one likes a sellout that that is a joke please please buy the tickets um lastly lastly time for a little new jingle hmm. do you have opinions no, I think they taste bad. 
Yes, I think that you mean onions. Yes, they're disgusting. Hey, that's an opinion. Hooray for onions. Hooray for onions. A very, very nice listener mentioned to me on Twitter the other day that they thought I had been quite unfair to Jeremy Corbyn the past few weeks of this show. And so, as is hugely unnecessary in this current world of constant opinion pieces and social media full of everyone's opinions that you didn't want, I thought I'd bestow you with a little bit of my personal opinion as though, you know, this podcast isn't just that anyway every fucking week. Numero uno of my opinion is that I aim to be able to take the piss out of all politicians on this show and all politics and equally praise any of them for doing things that I think are any good. (laughs) Which is why I haven't really done that over the past 50 episodes. See, See what I mean? But... It's important to me that I can make fun of all politicians and that we all can. You know, I I remember several years ago doing a gig for Stand Up uh, for Labour and all the audience all laughed when I did jokes about the Conservatives and the Lib Dems. But as soon as I did a gag about how shit Labour were being, do you remember? Do you remember when they were shit? Uh, uh, Oh, yeah, still are. Um, As soon as I did a joke about that, the audience all got really, really crappy with me. And, uh, you know, no, it wasn't just because my jokes were awful, although that probably didn't help. But... I just think not being able to take people mocking you is a political weakness. If you've got confidence in what you do, then you should be able to stand up for it. Um, you know, that's I think that's important. You only need to look at Donald Trump's Twitter to see how uh, weak someone is if they can't handle mocking um, and how, how weak someone's policies are. So, um, numero duo, uh, my onions, as it were, is that when it comes to Corbyn, uh, personally, I think, yes, the press have had it in for him since the start, often quite unfairly. Yes, so have most of his uh, parliamentary Labour Party often and quite unfairly, but as someone who's voted for Corbyn uh, in the past, I feel hugely underwhelmed by him, especially recently. And I just think if he had a really good strategy, he might be able to deal with bad press or it shouldn't really matter. You know, I spend my whole week up to this podcast looking and reading about politics from a variety of sources and writers and angles and, you know, mainstream media, not mainstream media. And I still don't feel like he's got any strong plan or... A particular way that's going to sway people that don't pay that much attention to the news, you know, because they're too busy having real lives instead of, like me, shouting at Victoria Derbyshire on BBC Two for two hours in the morning and then seeing how much tea a man can drink in a day. Yes, I do think it's amazing to have a left-wing politician for once, but if Corbyn can't vocalise his views to uh, go to, you know, speak to a wider audience or come up with coherent plans or deal with constructive criticism, then it's quite clear that someone else probably someone that he supports and backs, should be in charge instead. Who? Fuck off. I didn't say I had answers. No, it shouldn't be anyone from the previous camp of New Labour who clearly aren't what people want or need anymore. Um, the very excellent comedian Nat Tapley, who's at T on Twitter, wrote a very nice list in reply to someone else's Twitter list. Fuck, if you put thread on top of a tweet, I'm not going to read it, except for this one. Um, but someone else had done this Twitter list of all the good things New Labour did and why you shouldn't criticise Blair. And uh, Nat did a re- list in reply that was of all the shit things they did. And here's the thing. Blairites think Corbynites are the worst people on earth. Corbynites think Blairites are the most evil creatures as ever. Truth is, they're all shit, but Nigel Farage is even worse, so we should throw him in a well and then fight the Tories. So, uh, go-to mouthpiece for the left wing, Owen Jones, uh, wrote a very good piece on Corbyn last week that I pretty much 100% agree with, which isn't always how I feel about Owen Jones, um, and it's very, very worth a read. Uh, I popped it up on the Parpol Bro Facebook group and on Twitter if you want to catch it and you've missed it. Um, and that is my onions. Not that any of you are asking for them, but they may pop up again from time to time. Who knows? Uh, feel free to email me your own opinions at partlypoliticalbroadcast.gmail.com or the Parpol Bro Facebook group, or try and send me a thread on Twitter 
at parpolbro and see how quickly I ignore it as an automatic response to threads that I can't help because fuck me, they make me sad. But yeah, send them through and maybe I'll play them after the jingle. Oh, and no partly big question this week, as there is just too much news. And there was meant to be one last week, but I forgot to do it. So just let it be known that all your answers you sent in were amazing. Look at me, ignoring the responses of the people like some sort of 21st century politician. Right, this week for the 50th episode, I've got the first ever returning interviewee on this show, the brilliant Tatten Spiller from the ever-useful website Simple Politics, who explains to me exactly where we are with fucking Brexit, which is the correct adjective to put before it, I'll have you know. Uh, I'm also going to look at some recent UK government decisions and possible arsing budget announcements, which is the correct way to mention that, and of course, more bloody Trump, which is also the correct adjective to put before his name. It is very important to get all these terms right wherever possible. But before all of that... There is this shitting news. Last week, Northern Ireland voted in their assembly elections, which aren't about who gets to perform the poem about skeletons after the headmistress talks about Harvest Week. No, instead the Northern Irish assembly elections are nothing like that and definitely don't include hymns as it would just get complicated. They were to decide who is in charge of the country and once again the Democratic Unionist Party, who are only ever one of those things, came out on top. However, after this election, they're now only one seat ahead of their opposition, Sinn Féin, losing 10 seats in the process. That means Sinn Féin now have the highest ever vote share, and between Sinn Féin and the Social Democratic and Labour Party, have more votes than the Unionist Parties of the DUP and the Ulster Unionist Party, which, yes, the acronym spells OOP, which is, uh, correct, the noise of someone inhaling a burp. Now, if you head back to episode 45 with my chat with Matt Fulton at Progressive Politics Northern Ireland, you'll realise that this is partly to do with the Cash for Ash scandal, which sounds like a big waste of money and energy, literally, and Arlene Foster, the DUP's leader, not stepping aside, or well, anywhere except her seat. But it's also probably to do with Brexit, which the DUP backed, despite the fact that it would cause all sorts of border issues with the Republic, because this half of the decade seems to be on the theme of unnecessary divisions, to the extent where I'm sure 2019 is going to involve lots of policies for polynomials. I think I said that right. I have no idea. So, where this leaves Northern Ireland is negotiating its joint power-sharing government, and with the DUP no longer having a majority to push through things like veto gay marriage or block changes to abortion laws. So there's every chance Northern Ireland could now become a more progressive place, which would be brilliant. Then again, with Arlene Foster refusing to resign, and if Sinn Féin and the DUP can't agree on how to power share, and I'd personally recommend a USB double adapter, then it might need to go back to election until one can actually be made. It was the Scottish Conservative Conference last week, which probably mostly involved David Mundell and Ruth Davidson taking all the MSPs to aggressively crowd around the pandas at Edinburgh Zoo to prove to them that they definitely have more in their Scottish gang now. Yeah, ha, take that, panda. Theresa May addressed the conference by attacking the SNP, saying that their policies were not in the best interests of Scottish people. Which is an odd statement coming from someone whose government is pushing through the biggest constitutional change of the last 44 years that Scotland didn't want. After, the government also denied Scotland any sort of extra devolved powers that they promised in order to get them to stay in the British Union. I mean, while May could be right about the SNP, being lectured on what is and isn't in the best interests of Scottish people by the Prime Minister no one elected is like being told by a serial killer that the person who saved you last minute from their clutches was only in it for the good PR. May's speech mostly boosted keeping the British Union together, but then gave no one in Scotland a reason to want that by saying that the UK government won't be devolving powers currently exercised by the EU to the Scottish Parliament, even though it was requested by First Minister Nicola Sturgeon. May said that doing that would create a looser and weaker union between Scotland and the rest of the UK, in the same way that parents refuse to give their children responsibility in case they realise that they don't actually need them anymore and leave home. 
Scottish Tory leader Ruth Davidson told the conference that if there was another independence vote, unionists would win by an even bigger margin than in 2014. But she also said that Theresa May wouldn't allow another vote anyway, so you know, she's definitely right because you can't prove that she isn't. There are big issues in Scotland under the SNP, particularly in the education and NHS waiting times, but nothing the Conservatives are doing in the rest of the UK shows that they do a better job. So I can't imagine May's speech was much more than preaching to the choir. Ruth Davidson promised in her speech a back-to-basics review of the school curriculum with traditional emphasis on knowledge and facts, which, if that's true, will mostly encourage children not to join the Conservative Party when they grow up. Local elections happen in Scotland in May, so we'll see how voters are feeling about all those promises then. Still, keeping a few Conservatives in Scotland is always a good way to encourage reluctant pandas to breed just to outnumber the fuckers again. Oh, mon dieu, c'est la diffusion partie les mêmes politiques. Those French elections are getting heated, or, I suppose for France, sautéed, as they're very particular about that sort of thing. Right-wing candidate Francois Fillon has been summoned by judges, not sorcerers, or that would be weird, over the allegations that he gave his wife a taxpayer-funded fake job, which he denies, probably because his wife would be pretty angry with him if she found out that he thought what she did was a fake job. I mean, imagine that argument. Yeesh. However, while Fionn is saying that it's a political assassination that he will continue to run, his party, the Union of Democrats and Independents, a group whose first part of their name seems to be contradicted by the last part, have suspended their support for him and are looking to back another candidate instead. The UDI aren't a massive party, but they're all buddy-buddy with the Republicans, so it won't make it easy for Francois to continue without them. Fionn has already promised to drop out if an investigation about him took place, but by deciding against that, it seems he may be forcefully dropped out instead, and we'll have to hope his family return the employment favour for the next few years. If Fionn does drop out, that leaves two main contenders for the French presidency. The first of those is Marine Le Pen, who had her immunity to prosecution as an MEP taken away by the European Parliament, which will probably make her rethink some of her comments about them over the last few years. She's currently under investigation by European Parliament for posting horrible images on Twitter, which makes me wonder if I should actually drop the EU line about half of my timeline. But Le Pen, in her typical untactful, hate-stirring fashion, posted actually horrible shit, graphic pics of IS killings, which, you know, really isn't a great way to gain followers, and she'd have been much better off with just the sword emoji and then the face with the crossed-out eyes a lot of times. While she's being investigated for that, the immunity lift doesn't cover the investigation into her misuse of EU funds, and she's currently refusing to attend a summons and police interview about it, which really isn't the best look if you want to appear innocent. She's now unnecessary head picture to head with centrist candidate Macron in the running, though it looks like Le Pen is unlikely to win against him, I say in the sort of comment I should know better than in 2017. Macron has finally unveiled his manifesto, showing how patriotically French he is by doing it all laissez-faire months after everyone else. First on his manifesto was big old Putain vu to Fion by saying he'd ban politicians for employing relatives. He also wants to reduce the amount of seats in Parliament, tackle unemployment, abolish resident tax and make retirement the same for everyone. Oh, and he wants to ban mobile phones in schools, which sounds pretty harsh to kids, but when you see how distracted they get from their schoolwork by the awful shit Marine Le Pen posts, it makes a lot of sense. Also, in his education policy was a promise to return the three R's to the curriculum. Except in French they aren't three R's, they are an L, an E, and a thick, you know, one of the E's with a thingy on top, and an A. So perhaps he's insisting on talking like pirate lessons. Maybe? Anyway, there is still over a month to go to the first round of elections, so who knows, by then all the candidates might have been arrested and have to resort to hiring each other for poorly written, violent pirate social media marketing opportunities that appeal to absolutely no one. Brexit 
By the time you hear this, the Lords will have voted for or against the Article 50 bill, causing papers to decide if they are the enemies of the people, champions of the people, or just old, unelected people who are sometimes both of those things, depending on your opinion. But hey, it's really hard to put nuance in a headline, isn't it? I mean, you, you try. It's really hard. Whatever happens, it looks very much like Brexit is happening hard and not at all fast, with the next two to three years likely to be filled with the sort of articles that make you wonder if you'd have more interesting political insights listening to a tin telephone with one end attached to a flushing toilet. Brexiteers insist on using threatening language about what will happen if people don't support the process of leaving the EU, about how it's unpatriotic, and the Department of International Trade have been telling firms bidding for government contractors that they must make the right cultural choice if they want the job. That coming from disgrace-squared Liam Fox, who wouldn't know culture if it was growing on his lumpy old yoghurt face. At the same time, Remainers refused to accept that a democratic vote has happened, narrow a margin as it was, and seem to assume rather than ensure Brexit is the best it can be for the people, it should just be stopped altogether, and that the best people to inform a public sick of the establishment are two former Prime Ministers. Companies are urging that Brexit is delayed if there's no deal by the end of the two years given by Article 50. EU citizens have no idea if they'll still have the right to live in the UK, even if they're already based here. And with General Motors buying Vauxhall and Nissan saying they want a Brexit that works for them, it looks like free movement will stop for anyone needing to drive anywhere in a reasonably priced car as well. And you think car companies would handle being tired and exhausted by it all, so that's worrying. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not sorry. With the government now saying they won't shut the door on low-skilled EU migrants, upsetting xenophobes who like being unskilled and hate fruit, and the costs of leaving the EU looking like they might equal those we had staying in with nothing extra going to the NHS or big buses with lies on, you do sort of wonder what the point of it all really is. And does anyone really know what's going on? What will happen? And why oh why we're letting disgrace Liam Fox the disgrace be in charge of any of it when he'll probably just use it to take his best mate on an all-expenses-paid holiday to talk trade deals with people he'll probably offend before he finished saying hello by saying something awful about how great colonialism was. Well, this week I dragged the creator of Simple Politics, the wonderful Tatton Spiller, back on this podcast to explain. Simplepolitics.co.uk is a brilliant, brilliant site that I use loads and it is dedicated to making political processes easy to understand, which is much needed. Uh, and long-time listeners uh, might remember Tatton from episode 22 when I had a chat with him in the afternoon, uh, pretty much hours after we'd received the Brexit referendum result. Um, so I thought it would be very useful to get Tatton back in order to update us on episode 50 about what the hell is going on with fucking Brexit, because that is the correct adjective, remember. Now, a quick heads up, uh, we were having a very nice chat about how each other is, really, um, before I jumped in and just started asking him questions without much of a warning. So there is a little bit of talking over each other for the first question before I remember to get out of self-indulgent chatty mode and act like a professional podcast interviewer again. <laughs> professional, I joke. But we had a very fun chat and I think you'll find that Tatton makes all things a little bit more clear, uh, in as much as you can find anything more clear that has more grey areas than a House of Lords shower room. So, here's Tatton. Let's get straight into it. Um, I know that uh, I'm speaking to you a day before the Lords give their final announcement uh, or final yes. decision, I suppose. Um, and we've had some rather in an, interesting press. Oh, sorry, I was going like to say we've had some rather... In what was that, sorry? It's a bit like the Olympics. It's, it's really fun to spe speculate as to who's going to win, but everyone knows who's going to win. We know right. what's going to happen tomorrow in the Lords. Definitely. I mean, we're living in a Brexit, Donald Trump kind of world. So, no, not definitely. But, yeah, pretty much. They're, so, they're going to... 
they're going to vote that we have to have a meaningful vote, uh, that the parliament has to have a meaningful vote beforehand, and they're going to let the rest go through. That's sure, but that, I mean, they've changed a couple of bits, haven't they? they they've changed so, uh, something about the right for EU citizens in the UK. Yeah. Yeah, they've changed. They've changed that. I'll talk more about that later. But they've ch- so so we knew going into it they were going to change two things: one, the rights of EU citizens, and two, the uh, uh, having a meaningful vote, which has already been promised. But the Lords want to get it written down because if they're being charitable, they say they um it might be a different government so or a different head of state or whatever so they need it written down but if they're not being charitable they say well look at the dubs amendment when the government said one thing and did another so we want it written down in the law um, right, okay so they said those were the two amendments that they were really going to go on and they've done one of them and they'll do the other tomorrow um so it's kind of a, it's quite a satisfying process they say they're going to do something they do it and then we all but then the the media react a little bit like it's all shock news. Sure. Um, yeah. So that's we're gonna ha- that's the change going to happen tomorrow. It's in report stage, uh, and then there's a third reading tomorrow, and then it leaves the House of Lords. The fun bit doesn't really start until because presumably the Commons are going to well they've already said they're going to take out the EU clause. The EU nationals in the UK clause, um, or the government said they'd like to, and as they've got the majority, they'll that'll be fine. Even if there's a couple of conservative rebels, the DUP will vote with them, um, and it'll be and, and that'll happen. And then, and, and what do you th- well, just out of interest? I mean, and, and I know we should probably leave this a bit later, but what, why do you think they are insistent on removing it? What what's in it for them to not allow EU citizens a right to stay in the UK? Is it a bargaining thing or what? Well, it is. Um, it's a really fascinating area because people who want to... So, we have over a million UK citizens living abroad, the vast majority of whom are living in Spain, right? A lot of those people ha- are retired. Now, retired people are expensive because they don't pay into the tax bucket so much and they and they need more health at some point, even if even if they're very fit and healthy and running marathons now, it's not long until at the end of your life you need healthcare and social care. So we really don't want all those million people coming back to the UK. And that, I mean, it's talked about about protecting the rights of UK citizens abroad, and that's you know that's that is partly true. I'm not accusing you of lying, but. The, the 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 kind of darker side of we really don't want them back is yeah. so true. <laughs> it's sort of quite funny that our you know the sort of uh, retaliation against free movement is partly to say we we don't want those guys back here. We we're quite pleased <laughs> they've gone. <laughs> it's, it's not just a sort of a uh, so, so much a xenophobic thing. It's a it's almost a we hate British people as much as you do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but they don't want. I mean, to be fair, they really don't want to come back either. They've retired for the sun and the, you know, the lifestyle of just hanging out in the Costa del Sol or wherever. Of course, you know. um, And there's there's plenty of people over there who've never learned Spanish, been over there however many years, and 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 that's cool. That's just that that's their lifestyle choice, and they they are they are really really very concerned. Um, And I. 
but if their rights do get taken away, then... So a lot of them, I said, just going back a moment, I said that lots of them are receiving health treatment right now. They're all receiving free health treatment right now. It's very unlikely that they're actually going to be deported. It's very unlikely that the Spanish police are going to knock on their door and drag them out to a bus and send them back to the UK. But their health care won't be covered anymore. Or um, there'll be kind of extra tariffs on, on things for them or whatever. And that's a real concern. So have to have, people have to choose their home for the last 20 years and pay for healthcare or fly back to the UK and find somewhere to live. And I mean, it's like it's people have made their homes all over Europe. So it's so, 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 so that's I, I think it's important to, to look at why the government are doing what they're doing. Not, not because I want to defend them any more than I want to attack them, but because the people people get very upset about it because they want to guarantee the rights of EU citizens here. And I, I gave an assembly last week to a school that had loads and loads and loads of kids from all over Eastern Europe. And it was hard. It was hard to stand there when they said, when they asked me if they were going to have to go home. And, 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 I, and I, I guaranteed the 98% that they weren't. Yeah. But it's really difficult. You want to say... Oh, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. yeah, man. You want to say, of course you can stay. Let's come here, group hug. Right? Um, yeah, so... And there are very, 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 very few people who would say, we don't want EU citizens being here. Um, now, Theresa May wants to use, wants to use, I mean, the, I mean, the bargaining chips was being going around. But yeah, I guess, I guess, I guess that's a fair, fair term. She wants to say, let's have a reciprocal arrangement. You guys can stay there. Our guys will stay here. Job done. Sure. Um... But I guess I guess if they if they straight away <clears throat> sorry excuse me if they straight away say they have a right to stay here then they've got no grounds for saying can we keep our lot in so state? so you know, the argument goes right. um, the um, and it's also it's really interesting the polling that's been done suggests that the Eastern European nations the most important thing for them from Brexit is that. That they is that we can keep that their citizens can stay here, right? They're really, really keen to keep that channel open, right? And not force the repatriation. I mean, not for the same reasons as us, but but they get quite a lot of money sent home. Those nations from working over here, um, and also just looking after their citizens. If, if their citizens don't want to come back home, then they're going to try and keep them here. Sure. Um, so it is. It's it, it's a, it's a it's a really it's a really tricky one. I mean, the the debate in the House of Lords about it was one of the best debates I've ever seen in Parliament. So many people stood up, really, really articulating both sides of the both sides of the maybe a few more saying we should allow EU citizens to stay. And what they say, what the House of Lords committee said just the other day, is that e UK citizens in the EU say. 
that's fine. Guarantee the EU citizens' rights. Because it's our opportunity to stand up and be better. And really, if, yeah, if, if they've already guaranteed our rights, surely they can't then turn around and say, yeah, but your citizens can't stay here. Right. You'd hope, yeah. <laughs> You'd, really You'd hope, hope, but then, and again, we'll come to this later, there's a real chance we're going to leave without any deal signed. Right. Um, and if we do that, then there's no way, you know, EU, UK citizens living in the EU will be an easy, hopefully an easy part of the deal. But it will be part of the deal. So if the deal is voted down by our parliament or voted down by the European Union parliament, or the deal becomes not good enough and Theresa May says, OK, well, we're not going to have a deal then, then UK citizens are left with nothing. Um, I mean, yeah, this sort of brings me to, I mean, because uh, I've sort of been making a joke about the fact that the, the Article 50 white paper was called, so uh, it called it because it had nothing on it. Um, but it's, you know, we are... Uh, we, as you say, we we still might not have a deal. Do we actually know where we are with Brexit at the moment? Are we gonna know until this Article Fifty bill has been completely passed? I mean, basically, where are we? I still haven't got a clue what's going on, and I'm trying my best to well, work it out. The most important. So, first of all, don't don't look forward to suddenly finding stuff out as soon as the Article Fifty bill uh, goes through. Okay, that is a very symbolic moment and there'll be much uh, pomp and pageantry made about formally enacting Article 50. But nothing, the next day, your life will change not a bit. You, you, you won't know anymore. There will be more people in suits and smart clothes meeting with each other. Um, but... We have to trigger Article 50 by the end of March because in two years' time we get to the uh, European Union elections and even if we're just about a month away from leaving, by law we still have to run EU elections. Oh, what a pain. Um, which, which, would just, which would just be... A, it would be a ridiculous situation. So we need to just get, get, get Article 50 done now triggered so that we avoid that in two years but the germans are having elections merkel's merkel's in trouble because the the surprise candidate um who no one thought was going to win isn't is gaining traction all the time i don't know if that rings any bells um in france um uh in france no one knows who's going to win philon was was the favourite, but now he's um, he's being investigated, and uh, and he's being he might be Sarkozy. Looks like he might be trying to move him on um, to get another kind of right wing party. So no one knows what's going to happen in, with French and German elections, and we're not. Sure. France and Germany are so important to the negotiation process that we don't that, that nothing nothing real is going to happen until we know what's going on there. But what we do know is what the UK wants. And the UK and Theresa May has been really clear about it. Um, I think one reason why people find it confusing is that P 
people don't look at what the deal we've got now as a deal. So, in order to understand what we've got now, sorry, in order to understand where we're going, you need to look at what we've got now. So right now, we're in the single market. And the single market means we can sell things to everyone, we can buy and sell euros, we have freedom of movement, and as part of the single market, we pay about um, uh, £80 billion a year uh, to the EU. Um, and then, so that's a single market. We're also in the customs union. Um, and in the customs union, uh, we can come and go. Uh, we can sell things across borders. We have to accept EU regulations on our products so that they, do, they don't, can go across the borders. Um, and, then we, and then you've got science and technology and then you've got all these other things. Now, Theresa May doesn't want to be in a single, single market because it includes free movement of people, and that's, that, that's a red line. And sure. Theresa May doesn't want to be in the customs union, because then we'd have to accept all the regulations from Europe. So, sure. so that's what we know. She does want to keep, keep working with science and technology. Uh, she does want to stay in Interpol and, and keep fighting Al-Qaeda ninjas together with, with Europe. Um, she wants... And, She's perfectly happy to pay money to get a good trade deal as well. Um, it's really noticeable, the lack of talk about money. And whenever she gets asked about money, or whenever David Davis gets asked about money, their response is always the same. It's always, we're not going to show our negotiating hand. Whereas I they mean, have ruled out other things. Is that because there'd be a lot of criticism if we're spending almost more money to be out of it than we were when we were in it. Yes. Uh, UKIP, UKIP right now are campaigning and they're saying, oh, whenever we say, oh, there's no point, or whenever people say there's no point UKIP anymore because, um, uh, sorry, can I just correct? It was, it's eight and a half billion pounds, not 80 billion pounds. Um, uh, it, uh, yes, the EU. I mean, to be fair, you're not the only person that's got that wrong in the last couple of years, so I think you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> At least you apologised and corrected it. So I knew, it was, I knew it was eight and then lots of zeros. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, I'll scrap the bus. Um, so <laughs> people say to UKIP, um, there's no point in you anymore. And UKIP say, yes, there is. And they've laid out, I mean, Nigel Farage, love him or hate him, and I know there's a lot of people who do both. He's, he's, been, he's been very clever um, laying out conditions for Brexit, that if they're not achieved, then it's not a real Brexit. And Because one of them is, we mustn't pay any money to, you, to Europe. Now... That's just not realistic, because if we want to join, if we want to stay in Europol, we have to pay for Europol, um, because there's costs of Europol. Sure, and I mean, surely uh, any trade agreement will cost us something. Yes, we will be the smaller nation. So we're, we're quite a rich nation, um, but we are smaller than the EU, and... And the EU will want, in trade, um, a good deal from us. Um, so, 
I think. I mean, it's possible. Is it? You what UKIP want right now? They say let's not do a two year. You you get up to two years with Article Fifty, but let's not do that. Let's trigger Article 50 today. Let's repeal the European Communities Act, which means we can leave Brexit. We leave the EU. And then we've left the EU. And then, and in doing so, we'll save all the money. If it's £8.5 billion a year, that means we'll have paid £17 billion to the EU just in those two years we're, we're negotiating for, right? Yeah. So UKIP's policy is let's save that £17 billion quid. Um, and that's a net figure. So that's a genuine figure that could, in theory, go to the NHS. Sure. Um, and there's also... So you've got the NHS... Yeah. Um, and you've also got two years... There's the UKIP hate the migration thing. So you've got two years of open border migration while we're still in the EU. And if we, if we stop that, then we then take back control now. Um, so So that's a way of doing it. Without paying any money into the EU. But yeah. I think that's the only possible way of doing and, it. And I mean, doesn't that just leave loads of open ends as to what we do with all our laws and our legislation, all our trade? You know, you, you oh, well, not, not, not with our laws. Not with our laws. I think we're going to come on to this later. But um, the Great Repeal Bill, which is an incredibly grand... When you hear the Great Repeal Bill, you think, oh, they're going to repeal loads of stuff. No, no, no. The Great Repeal Bill is there to repeal one law, um, and that is the European Communities Act. And right. the Great Repeal Bill uh, will repeal that on the day we leave and automatically transfer any European laws into our laws. Why would we want to do that? Well, we want to do that because... We are then in control, and we can take our time going through all the laws, getting rid of anything we want. Okay, so, so that seems, I mean, that's a lot more clear-cut than I assume, because I was concerned that the Great Repeal Bill was individually going through every European law we have. No, 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 that's what it sounds like. The Great Repeal Bill, everybody! Dong! No, no, no. They don't, it doesn't matter. Um, it, it, the, the, the name is just a bit of grandiose... Um, pageantry it is going to repeal the one law and make all European law where it can there's a couple of because it's the law right and lawyers like to make life difficult for every, for, for, for people with small brains like me um, there are some areas that the law doesn't go in doesn't quite go in but almost everywhere any EU laws will automatically become UK laws and then we can spend the rest of the decade wandering through the library of EU laws <laughs> going, oh, we didn't want that one, actually. Oh, and then uh, it also means some laws will be repealable through secondary legislation, which means that there will be a vote in Parliament, but not, a, not the full scrutiny process. Right. Um, yeah, so the Great Repeal Bill... Is is nice. It, it's nice and clear, and it's going to happen this year. It's going to be in Parliament this year after the Queen's speech. So the Queen's speech. They haven't announced the date yet. It's probably be in May. Um, and after that, we will have the Great Repeal Bill in Parliament. Um, but it will be a preemptive strike. So it'll say on the day we leave, this will happen. 
So, I mean, really, we're looking at, you know, because a lot of people are getting heads up about what's in the Article 50 bill and people are getting concerned about what's in the Great Repeal bill. I'm guessing, actually, the majority of work and the majority of parties fighting for what they want uh, will be once we've left. Yes. Yes. Well, the term that the Labour Party are using a lot at the moment, and the Lib Dems, a lot is, and the SNP for that matter, um, is the term blank check. Right. They're really worried that the that the Conservative Party, uh, that the government under Theresa May, um, uh, having Article 50, um, the bill with no with nothing in it. And then they'll, and then they'll have a great repeal bill for at the end. But they're not giving Parliament any chance to scrutinise the negotiations or tell Parliament cannot tell Theresa May what they want to see from Brexit. Um, so the negotiations will be carried out entirely behind closed doors. Theresa May says she'll come and update the House every now and again, and, and David Davis will. I'm sure that will happen. But there is a negotiation process is almost always vaguely secretive. Um, and we're in a position now... If the Article 50 bill, if, if the government do uh, squeeze out any, ch any amendments, any changes, and just kind of stares, stares it out, um, we'll see uh, no direction for the negotiations given from Parliament. So yeah. there is nothing for us to follow, really, until we leave, and then we'll suddenly be told... And so what happens as a result is, because there's a vacuum there, you get people being very, very, very concerned about what's going on in the Article 50 bill, and they will be very, very concerned about what's going on with the Great Repeal Bill, because, they're, because they want to influence the negotiations. So even though these bills aren't about the negotiations, they're still they're trying to use them as tools to influence the negotiations. In exactly the same way as committees, um, every, loads of select committees are looking into the impact of Brexit on fish fingers, on developing nations, on or you name it, there's one. And they'll release press releases. And um, uh, there was an article, there was an article on The Guardian that you sent me before this, because you might you said you might want to discuss it, about the impact of Brexit on uh, on developing nations yeah. and it said if Brexit goes wrong it could have this dreadful impact um, and there's loads and loads of articles like that at the moment because there's no formal way for anyone to influence these negotiations so what they're doing is they're putting out press releases and the only way to get a press release published is to say the very, is to take the very 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 worst possible consequence and say this is almost certainly going to happen, sure. unless unless this, of right? Because you're pushing for the that, um, and so yeah, that that that's the concern. That's that, that that's why this term blank check comes around all the time. Uh, whereas and, and and it's the Theresa May and David Davis and all Team Brexit like to say. It's the will of the people. The people voted on June 23rd to leave the EU, so we've got to leave the EU. 
And that's all we're doing. And then the opposition stand up and say, yes, they did vote for that, but they didn't vote to give you a blank check to do what you want in your conservative ideological manner. And they say, you're defying the will of the people. And they say, we're not defying the will of the people. We're just trying to scrutinise the government. Um, I've watched hours and hours and hours of Brexit debate. And that is word for word what happens. Yes, no. It's, it's, I'm sure many of the, the listeners to this podcast will 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 have uh, appreciated how word for word uh, that was. I think, <laughs> accurate, accurate that was. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot; we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. We'll be back with Tatton in a minute, but first... With the news constantly focused on fucking Brexit and bloody Trump, it's easy to miss out on some pretty important things closer to home. No, not how your local shop has stopped stocking those disgusting cheese triangles that somehow taste oh so good. I mean, UK policies, and in particular, UK funding cuts. The first and last spring budget is this Wednesday, and while its name sounds like it's going to be hours of how much bouncy things should cost, it's sadly more likely to be about how little funding will blossom for areas that need it. There is a lot of speculation that Philip Hammond, you know, the Chancellor of the Exchequer and the perfect example of what happens when all you eat is dust, will demand a further £3.5 million in cuts from many Whitehall government departments. And while George Osborne in his spending review in 2015, which took place somewhere between building site visits and hard hat wearing opportunities, even though he said in his spending review that the police budget would be protected, as would funding for children aged 16 to 19 in education, 30 hours a week free childcare for three and four year olds and a protection of adult skills. Even though he said all that, it seems the only ones that have been reaffirmed in the Treasury's recent efficiency savings drive are core school budgets, to keep the lack of insufficient funding for the NHS and to meet the NATO target of 2% of GDP on defence, because there's nothing like having a tonne of defence with no skilled or educated adults to be in charge of it. And if some of those ring-fenced areas aren't going to be protected, then considering the trouble they are already in, it could get pretty bleak here in the UK. I mean, things that have already been cut harsher than the drunk hairdresser using a machete to do a short back and sides are the school system, which is currently diced like educational sushi. The Education Secretary Justine Greening announced a new national funding formula in December of last year that was meant to increase funding for schools with additional needs, such as having lots of kids from deprived backgrounds. That's deprived, not depraved backgrounds, as all of those go to private schools. 
These changes are going to come in next year, but the National Union of Teachers and the Child Poverty Action Group have found that actually this funding formula is not really going to help schools at all. And in fact, unless funding is hugely increased in the education area, the funding formula seems a lot more like poverty potion, as 98% of schools are going to be hit hard by it. 98%. You have to wonder what sort of maths education Greening had. 60% of secondary schools already spend over their budget, and yet the Department for Education is currently asking for £3 billion more cuts in school budgets. I mean, imagine setting that as a GCSE question. You have nothing, but the government wants you to have £3 billion less, but you still have to cater for the education of millions of children. So, how soon do you resign from teaching? Disadvantaged primary school students look set to lose £473 of funding each, which is 140 quid more than average for that age group. Secondary schools with high numbers of poor students will lose £803 per pupil, £326 more than average. So basically, those who need the most support will receive even less support than they already have. And unless this is some sort of secret way to give kids without much money a head start when perhaps post-Brexit the UK becomes like some sort of barren wasteland where all you need is survival skills, then it'll just create an even bigger class gap in education. If you look at schoolcuts.org.uk, you can find what schools near you will lose. The primary school at the end of my road is going to lose £129,927 by 2019. That's 722 quid per pupil and two teachers gone. If you saw how often the little shits take up the bus on school trips when I'm travelling into town, you realise how important it is that they have enough teachers to stop them asking me stupid questions about what I'm listening to or playing on my phone. It's got swearing in it. It's not suitable for you. Stop giggling at me. Stop it. Oh, God. After schools are some really nasty areas of cuts. Um, As of April the 6th this year, benefits given to bereaved parents with children will only last 18 months as opposed to the previous rule of funding till the child is 16. According to Conservative Minister Richard Harrington, who swapped having emotions for a face like a sex criminal, funding a bereaved single parent till their child is 16 stops them from readjusting to life as a single parent. That's right. Harrington thinks it's much easier to adjust to the loss of a loved one if you can really feel how screwed you are without their financial or emotional support. I mean, why not just send a government employee round every week to shout, lonely, isn't it, into their faces in the hope they'll just give them a kickstart into a more balanced life? These minimal benefits only apply if you are married or in a civil partnership with your partner too, because if you don't even have to miss putting a ring on in the morning, you're unlikely to notice your partner isn't there, right? Richard Harrington was only at the parliamentary debate about this issue because he was replacing another minister who couldn't be there as they were attending a funeral. No doubt walking around, taking all the cash out of people's wallets and shouting, you should feel fine now, why are you still crying? Also, in April, housing benefit for 18 to 21-year-olds is going to be axed because, you know, it's just so easy for young people to find affordable accommodation right now, right? I mean, they could totally sleep on the streets or join the army, and I don't know why these young people are always complaining about not having enough opportunities when right now there are definitive individual choices about how you'd like to die young, shot to death or frozen to death. I mean, there's options right there. With no housing benefit, 18 to 21-year-olds are unlikely to be able to rent anywhere as landlords will know they can't get benefits. And if they are at risk of homelessness, then there are issues about hostels and shelters taking them in as they too get paid by housing benefits. There will be exemptions, such as kids that can't go home due to threats of physical or emotional abuse, but I don't think the government count having to talk to your parents every day when you're 19 as emotional abuse, even though it definitely, definitely is. Again, the reasoning behind this is that they don't want to set young people on a life of benefits, so by taking away their housing benefit, it makes sure they'll be dead before they can start claiming anything. Well done. 
To ensure there's a lot of smoke to mask all of this funding cuts fire, the government have also scrapped cost caps on any person or organisation that wants to bring a judicial review against the government in an environmental case. Previously, there would be a protection of maximum costs of £5,000 for an individual and £10,000 for an organisation if they lost, but now they have to pay full legal fees in an unsuccessful case. So it's either take up the challenge and maybe lose your home in legal fee costs, or not bother and lose your home as whatever ignored environmental disaster or lack of green initiative scheme destroys it anyway. And you add on to this the PIP benefit cuts and the police force cuts, both of which I mentioned on previous shows, and reports that due to cuts, firefighters in Manchester have been having to catch taxis to blazes, where I hope the cabbie didn't make them wait while they had to spend years filling out a receipt. But you wonder, with all these things, if Hammond's budget is going to do much to help any of the just-about-managing people they keep promising to. There is some hope that he'll finally give some much-needed funding increase to social care, but judging by how many people will be full of air pollution without a home or education and in mourning, the demand on social care is going to increase tenfold too, so it won't be enough. In fact, thinking about how kids now won't get the education they need, young people will be homeless, you'll have to get over death super quickly, the emergency services are fucked and the environment's going to be in tatters, the smartest move based on all of the above would probably be for the government to spend a lot of budget money making sure everyone's seen Mad Max Fury Road and then we'll all be appropriately prepped come 2020. And now, back to Tatton. There's a couple of questions here. I mean, because you're saying that obviously other parties in opposition and people are putting in their bids to kind of try and make sure they get a say. But uh, so are companies. A lot of companies are uh, have been mentioned. I think British Chamber oh, yeah. of Commerce uh, said something last week about how, you know, um, if there's no trade deal at the end of these two years, which should be delayed, uh, leaving the EU should be delayed. And they also want to keep hiring low-wage workers and ensure they can get workers from the EU. I mean, surely, knowing the, uh, the party that are the government, the Conservatives, they will be interested in what businesses want how much do you think that's going to dictate how it works well um, you're right to link these things because business is doing exactly what everyone else is doing business is saying well i think business is really important um and it is really important because our economy relies on people having jobs and, and our livelihoods rely on us having jobs and we've we've seen recently car manufacturing has has been in the news i mean just today voxel's been sold um and they did a deal with a car manufacturer a few months ago to stay here and the government needs people companies to stay here and it's gonna it's gonna take some time for us to build up trade deals as members of the eu we have trade deals with about 50 nations in the world as well as the 27 in the eu okay now they're not all they're not all the the trade deals that we want necessarily they're not all you know there was uh, theresa may over on friday last week theresa may was talking about a scottish whiskey because she's at the scottish conservative um uh spring conference and she's talking about whiskey and the fact that the middle class in India are desperate to buy Scottish whiskey, but there is currently a 150% tariff on Scottish whiskey in India, wow. um, which makes it really, really expensive. Because it, you know, a bottle of uh, a nice bottle of single malt here costs a lot. Sure. Right here in here in in the UK, and then you add on the exporting and all that, and a 150% tariff. It's prohibitively expensive. And if the UK could do a deal with India to sell scotch at 
without the tariff, they would sell a heck of a lot of whiskey. Okay, so that's, I mean, that's, that's from the mouth of Theresa May herself. She's, 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 she's all about um, uh, the whiskey. But we need to make those deals and they take time. So there's talk, if we don't get an amazing trade deal with the EU, it's going to be difficult. And car manufacturers, and again, it's been in the news a lot this weekend, when you're building a car, components cross borders all the time. Because it's not... It's all done in these high-tech factories, and, and, and all the bits come from all over the place. And, they get, and when they're being made, one company, you know, a factory in Poland does a bit, and they send it to Italy, does a bit, and then goes back to wherever. And it all needs to be within regulation, doesn't it? So that it all and, fits and works and is health and, you know, covers yeah. health and safety and all that. Yeah. And, and all this. And it turns out making a car is incredibly complicated. Um, which, thought? yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so oh, I, ju I just don't know. Um, how much I mean, will business. The, the, the original say, question. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say that. I mean, the, the thing that I sort of feel is a lot of what, say, the will of the people is seems to be at odds at what business want. You know, like obviously you said earlier that the getting rid of free movement is an absolute must for the government because they know that that's what a lot of people demanded or a lot of campaigns were based on in leave campaigns. Yeah. Um, but a lot of businesses really don't want that because it's going to be quite damaging to them, um, you know, and, and I think sort of. Does it? It sort of feels like a lot of areas are at odds with each other at the moment, and I guess that's going to be quite a big issue. I mean, how how on earth do they tackle that? <laughs> how do they, how do you please is, everyone? But Tina, <laughs> this is this is politics. It, it was sure. always <laughs> this way. It was if you. It's the budget on Wednesday. It's the budget, and I mean, it, it shows what a big story Brexit is. That we, that we're not even talking about the budget, but budgets for years and years have had to balance the need the the. The, the needs of people against the needs of business and, you know, human rights and minimum wages and all these things have always been different sides for different people in different positions. Let's sure. not forget the Conservative Party was so anti the minimum wage when it came in that they forced all-night debates and they had votes at times when they thought, because they were a smaller party... They couldn't win any votes at normal times, but they but they snuck in votes at two in the morning. They snuck in votes at four in the morning, hoping that some Labour MPs had gone for a kip. Wow. Right? That's not because they hate people. That's because they believed that the minimum wage was incredibly bad for business and would cause unemployment. Because it's because it's because, and it comes down to the ideology of free markets, really. Because as soon as you start playing with free market economics, it distorts results. Sure. And it's not accountable. So, and now, I mean, now, it, it, I think that most of the, the, those MPs would accept that the, the, the minimum wage has come out, it's doing all right. And in fact, they've, they've put up this living wage. Now, some people say the living wage isn't a real living wage. And they're talking about, John McDonnell was talking about uh, labour minimum wage of £10 an hour, um, the living wage of £10 an hour and all this stuff. But it's, it's just an example of business and, and, and the people and economic, all these, there's, if there was one clear answer, 
politics would be an easy game. Of course, of course. That's true. And, uh, you know, it would make voting really easy as well. <laughs> <wouldn't it>? Yes. <laughs> oh, I'll vote for the party with the right answers. Yeah, Cross. absolutely. Sure. So, I mean, okay, and the... So obviously we've got the balancing, as you said, that's it's part of politics. We've got the balancing act between business and people. Um, but also, uh, I mean, what is going to happen with Scotland? Because Scotland overwhelmingly voted to stay in the EU. Yes. Um, obviously now there's talks about a second independence referendum. And yes. I know that what you're saying is that Theresa May is saying, well, you can sell whiskey to India. But, <laughs> I mean, is that is that going to be enough to sway them to want to stay part of the UK? They don't, they don't need swaying. Um... The even though they vote for the, they vote overwhelmingly for the SNP in elections, there's no polling. Not one poll has put uh, the the Leave vote ahead um, right. in Scotland. Um, I think whenever I use statistics, I then go, but maybe that's completely wrong. Um, <laughs> but sure, I think a couple of years have taught us otherwise. Yeah. Um, in my yeah, I think that that that's what's happening. So there's no the SNP believe that the harder Brexit talks go, the more likely it is they can win an independence vote, and 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 the more important they believe that the more important it is that they leave. Because they really want to stay in the EU. And the people have voted they really want to stay in the EU. So the SNP believe not only that it's possible, but that, it, that, that it's desirable to leave the UK in order to stay in the EU. Um, I've not seen anything that suggests that's definitely possible. But they're, they're convinced it is. So I, And they'd know better than me because they spend a lot more of their time thinking about it. Sure. Um, than, than than I do. Uh, what there's talk about announcing a referendum as soon as Article Fifty is triggered. Um, now, again, this is my understanding: is that West to have a binding referendum, Westminster need to agree. And I think there's no way that Theresa May will do that so soon after the last independence referendum, but. To have uh, an unofficial nationwide poll under referendum conditions can be done by anyone. Um, right. So, and if Scotland voted to leave in an unofficial ballot, it would be very, very hard politically to keep them. Sure. Sure. And I mean, I'm guessing it also, you know, because obviously, I mean, obviously it's in the government's best interest to keep Scotland as part of the union. That's, that goes without saying. But I assume also for trade purposes, we need uh, Scottish whiskey. We need Scottish oil. <laughs> the other things, uh, you know, it would affect trade deals with other parts of the world were Scotland to go independent. Yes. I mean, yes, people, people, people do want things from Scotland. Um, and... Uh, England, well, I... I we're in the realms of fantasy. Well, I don't know. I'm not a fantasy, but we're in the realms of just. I I don't know. We don't know. These trade deals are incredibly complicated, and there's no way of knowing what Scotland, what the impact of Scotland leaving would be on our trade deals 
with, I mean, with India. Let's, I mean, maybe India is just desperate for whiskey, but they're also desperate, <laughs> desperate for Marks and Spencers. Um, they, they're, there's because because of the colonial past, there is a big aspiration for Britishness in 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 parts of India. So. I mean, Gosh, is that, I don't. I, I, Tim, I don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> no, that's fine. I mean, like, like you know, God, we don't know what's going to happen with, with a number of things till they do. I, I mean, I wonder if this is all part of, you know, because again, it was said in the papers this morning. You had uh, Liam Fox tweeted actually that Britain doesn't need to bury our 20th century history, and there were rumours in the Times that uh, Department of International Trade are sort of talking about trade deals with other Commonwealth countries as Empire 2.0, which is the most tactless <laughs> thing you can do. It's unbelievable. Because I'm sure that's how you. I mean, sure that will sell it to African nations. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll do that again. Thanks, guys. Um, but I mean, are we? You know, are we in danger of treat? You know, believing that we're still a big player in the world. I mean, because you know, uh, it, it seems to be very much pushing. I mean, and, and this is the interpretation we're getting from media or from government comments so far that that England are a big player. We're going to get what we want from things. We're kind of ignoring Gibraltar and what they want. You know, it, it, we seem to think that we can just demand stuff. Do you think that's that's an issue or is that an over-exaggeration? I think, I mean, we are a big player in the world because we're immensely rich. Um, we're, I think, the, the seventh biggest economy in the world. Um, you know, we don't have the seventh biggest uh population but we we punch way above our weight i mean i think i think germany's bigger economically but we've got a permanent seat in the uh on the united nations security council um now i think and it used to be not very long ago it used to be the case that despite some issues. I shan't talk about um, post-colonialism and colonialism in a neutral way. It's really hard. Yeah, um, sure, sure. I mean, also, but, we've only we've only got a certain amount of time for this interview. It could take a while. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it used to be a real thing in our favour. Oh, yes, it's Britain. Oh, yes, we'd love to trade with them. Uh, hey, look at my cool British London T-shirt. Um, but... Now, it, 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 I'm, I'm not so sure. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm no foreign affairs expert, but look at World Cup bidding. Um, no one wanted, no one wanted the World Cup to come to England. Um, I, I, there, there are in this kind of global world. I think it, it, that suggests to me that maybe. We other countries don't see us as as the pool that we used to be, but equally, we have got lots of money as a as a nation. We um, we have got lots of global contacts. We I think you know, I think people do want to do business with us. Okay, so so it might not be. It, we might we might end up with some fairly decent deals. I mean, there's obviously. Uh, questionable how well the deals with the the rest of the eu will be because i know that the uh, support for eu membership is now very high across europe apparently the support for the euro is at a record high across europe do you think that us choosing to brexit is uh, kind of unintentionally caused a big boost for the eu and, and maybe this might will, will that impact on the sort of deals that we'll get with them 
Oh, um, well, th th there's two separate questions there. I mean, England have always been a slightly odd man of Europe. Um, we didn't want to join the Euro. Uh, we've always been, been trying to stop the European EU army. Um, we've always wanted an EU that's not quite as integrated as many other EU nations want. Uh, I mean, it, it partly helps that because of the physical border between us and the rest of Europe, there isn't there isn't the flow that there has been there. Um, you know, lots of people now live in a European country that was once part of the other another European country, um, or you know, where borders have moved, or whatever. Um, I think that helps feel much more bound together, and without England there or sorry united kingdom there saying hang on stop let's not get carried away i think that there, there will be a look for closer union but there is you know greece italy um holland there are people there are people in places all over europe who, who are anti-european anti the eu um so who who knows I mean, who who I feel like a lot of the answers to the questions you've given me have been, oh, I don't know. Um, but, that's... <laughs> but I mean, that's that's how it is, isn't it? I guess until we know, you know, as, as you quite clearly sort of explained earlier, until we get this Article 50 bill and the, the Great Repeal bill out of the way, it's it's kind of then independent or dependent on, on the individual trade deals that we get, isn't it? Yeah, it's but it's the individual trade deals. It depends on the elections that are coming up in Europe. It depends on... On so many different things. It depends what mood Donald Trump's in. It depends. Sure. We want to have we want to have deals with Europe. We want to have deals with America. We want to have deals with China. We want to have deals with India because that's because that's where so much money is in those four areas, right? And I'm aware that Africa isn't one country, but yeah. <laughs> Unlike um, Boris Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> so we want to have lots of deals across Africa, but yeah, but but Europe and America and China and India these are, these are, these these are deals we desperately desperately want. Um, and who knows how those how they're going to go? There are we're going to go into those negotiations, and the people opposite us are going to know that we need them, and that's and that's not great. For a negotiation, sure. Um, I mean, because this is—I've got sort of two more questions for you. But one, one is that I, you know, I, I think David Davis, uh, as well as uh, companies saying that they still want uh, low-skilled EU or you know EU migrants to come over for work. But David Davis said that they won't be shutting door on immigration. And now, obviously, that whole thing about extra money for the NHS has has gone <laughs> tits up. I suppose you know, like, I'm—I've been trying to work out what the government's incentive for going through with brexit is do you think that they've how is it gonna really benefit them <laughs> what, what we're doing you know i, I think i think we've got no, no choice but to go through with brexit uh, there was a for whatever reason there was a referendum and the people voted 52 percent voted to leave the eu i think that and uh, well, no, sure. I mean, and I should say that as, as someone, and, and I've I've said to my listeners, I'm a, I was a Remain voter, but I also very much believe in democracy, and I believe we should go the way that people voted. But w what I don't understand is that 
if uh, you know, as the government, they should be able to say we agree that we're leaving. But as you said, we never we never voted for what specific. So I'm I'm trying to work out what their what the benefit for them is. Well, going through with it as as you know as the sort of hard Brexit that we're seeing. The line the, 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 the line that gets mocked so much was when Theresa May said Brexit means Brexit. And it turns out when in with hindsight that that, that she was being very clear what she means. Because any kind of soft Brexit isn't Brexit. You can't so what a lot of people were hoping a lot of Remainers were hoping that we would have a kind of Brexit that kept us in the single market and kept us in the customs union and um, and we'd also be able to make trade deals elsewhere. And that was, yeah, that was what Brexit would look like. But that's simply not Brexit. That's kind of staying in the EU. Um, sure. And the people definitely voted to leave the EU. So... And it's also really clear you can't cherry pick, you can't stay in the single market and not stay in, uh, not keep freedom of movement because freedom of movement is part of the single market. So once you, because there's bits of the customs uh, agreement and there's bits of the single market that we'd like, but there's also bits in both we don't want, which means we can't have them. Sure. You can't, you can't, you cannot just go in and take the, uh, and cherry pick. Um, the EU wouldn't let us because then every single nation would go, oh, actually, oh, we're going to leave and, and we're just going to take this bit and we'll just have this bit and suddenly you've got nothing. Um, so, and the EU have to keep themselves going as a viable thing. So with that in, I mean, with that in mind, the sort of last question for you, I suppose, and I know that you're obviously, uh, your, your website and everything you do is, is non-partisan, so I won't ask uh, too much from you, but I, but, uh, I mean, what you've explained, I sort of feel in a weird way more relaxed about it all because I know that we just don't have a clue and that there are steps, you know, I think your explanation of the Great Repeal Bill is actually quite um, comforting to know that it's not a... A uh, lot of my explanations give the idea that we don't have a clue what's going on. That doesn't necessarily mean that other people don't have a clue. No, of course, but I mean, I mean, in terms of, uh, for example, like I said your Great Repeal Bill explanation. In my head, I think I assumed it was this horribly lengthy go through every single law and overturn it <laughs> that the EU have given us. You know, um, and I think knowing that what the next two stages are is slightly more comforting, uh, or having you know having a better understanding of it. But I mean, so from your point of view, do do, do you think this is? going to be uh you know is is it going to work out okay <laughs> do you think it's, it's going to be good for the uk what sort of global implications is it is it going to have i don't know oh. <laughs> i didn't think you would i just is i haven't got a um, <laughs> okay well <laughs> i mean well <laughs> i think i think that two years is going to be, there's going to be some hard negotiating to do. I think that when we leave, the day we leave the EU, we're not going to have much in place trade deal-wise because you're not allowed to start negotiating trade deals until we've left the EU. Um, I think that there's a chance that a deal, a, some kind of trade deal with the EU will be in a deal, and that, and that could be there the day we leave. 
which would be which would be nice because we could still sell things and we could still buy uh, things here. Um, for, 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 for you know, it's, we're not going to ban any products in the EU, so we will still be able to buy as much EU things, but they'll be more expensive because there'll be tariffs on top. The transition is the thing. And uh, I was talking earlier about about why UKIP talk um, the, 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 what UKIP are doing to to keep their hardest of hard Brexit's alive is is they're saying we don't want any transition deal, and a lot of other people are saying how they want lots of trans a long transition deal in place because. If we're going to be making these trade deals elsewhere, we need a bit of time. So a transitional deal would presumably include some kind of extended access to the single market, but we would continue having to pay money in. We might have to pay more money in because of the other bits and pieces. Because, um, but partly as a fine, I suppose. Um, I think that if we keep... Well, the government, and it will still be, unless there's a surprise shock election, it will still be Theresa May and her team when we leave. They... Now, this is where I become... I have faith that our politicians are mostly out to do the best they can for the country, okay? A lot of people on my Facebook page, on my Twitter page, make it very clear to me they disagree with me on that. And that's, and that's fine. But it's my belief that they, that they do want the best for the country. So, um, they will make sure... They will do everything they can to make sure that when we leave, there is no cliff to jump off, um, to fall off, that we are going to leave smoothly. Um, it's a dangerous road. Um, in the long run, I think we'll be fine. I think we will make trade deals. I think that um, we will be able to make deals and we'll just have to adjust whether there's some short-term pain, I don't know. That's fair. That was a, a very good answer for someone that doesn't know. I'm very impressed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when you have children, you have to make up answers on the spot all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was very it was very reassuring. Hopefully, uh, all the listeners, uh, well, and I definitely do, uh, feel slightly reassured. So, thank you very much. Oh, good. <laughs> Big thanks to Tatton, and it was very, very nice of him to get back on the podcast, and hopefully that has cleared some of the Brexit nonsense up for you, as it certainly did for me, especially about the Great Repeal Bill. I genuinely thought uh, it was a lot more complicated than that, uh, which I think is a good thing. Who knows? Um, Tatton's amazingly informative and very clear guide to how things work in politics is at simplepolitics.co.uk. Uh, it's constantly updated when there are new bills um, and legislation. It's really, really good. Um, they're also on Facebook at Simple Politics UK and on Twitter at Easy Politics UK. Um, there are now some Simple Politics t-shirts at the T-Mill website as well, um, including some brilliant ones with descriptions of what socialism, liberalism and conservatism are, as well as tea towels as well. 
and there are some really great fun uh, politics-based games on the website as well that you can get. Uh, do get them. They're brilliant. Um, Tatton wanted me to mention for any of you that are teachers or in the education sector that he is going to be at the education show at the NEC Birmingham. Uh, I, I think it's in a couple of weeks' time. Um, so do go and see him if you'd like to find ways to implement teaching politics into your lesson plans. And if you're not going to be there but you're still very interested in using politics in your lessons at school then do drop him a line via the simple politics website uh, as he said he's very very keen to get into that and does lots of talks at schools already um, as always if you have anyone you'd like me to interview or any subject you think I should interview people about then please do drop me a line at parpolbro on twitter the parpolbro group on facebook or partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com or shine the special Parpol Bro signal into the sky on a dark night and you can tell me when I appear on your roof in a cape very tired from running up all the stairs in a stupid fucking cape. Donald Trump, Donald Trump, scary Donald Trump, orange, orange Donald Trump, racist Donald Trump, sexist Donald Trump, stupid Donald Trump, President Donald Trump, oh my god, President Donald Trump, that's a real thing, oh god, it's oh, scary, I'm really scared. Again, it feels like I need a whole separate podcast just to catch up on what's been happening in the US this week, but I don't have one of those, and I'm not even sure what I'd call it. Tiny-handed tantrums, maybe. So look, again, it's a longish podcast this week, so here are some very quick outlines of Trump fuckery. So, uh, Trump's speech, as I mentioned earlier, which he read the whole thing off on autocue, which I think is hugely hypocritical after his condemnation of actors speaking out against him, and yet he reads one script well and now he's presidential. Anyway, in his speech, Trump actually condemned the shooting of two Indian men in Kansas and the vandalism of Jewish cemeteries, which was kind of amazing, but then that was undercut by him saying the day before that Jewish people could be doing anti-Semitic crimes themselves in order to make him look bad. Not only an absurd suggestion due to its anti-Semitic nature, but also because of the sheer idea that anyone has to do anything to make Trump look bad when he's perfectly capable of that all by himself. Trumpo's speech also talked about immigration reform, and at an earlier press interview he said he might be open to granting legal status to undocumented migrants. But this is all undercut by his talks and reports on crimes caused by immigrants, and him bringing back the Muslim travel ban today, a ban that Trump and his team are saying isn't just a repackaged Muslim ban, even though it totally, totally is. From early reports, it sounds pretty much exactly the same ban as before, just without Iraq in it, which, as I said before, wasn't the problem with it in the first place. In fact, while I don't think Iraq should be included in any sort of ban, it is absurd to believe that the other countries uh, that are back in the ban, Iran, Somalia, Sudan, Syria, Yemen and Libya, are any more of a terror threat than Iraq, a country whose name actually features in the acronym ISIS. I mean, what do you think Trump thinks the second I in it is for? Does he reckon it stands for Islamic State, Islamic State, as they think it's so good they named it twice? There's also exemptions for green card holders in the new revised ban, which is good, because otherwise all that shit they have to go through with Andy McDowell is a total waste. The rest of Trump's speech as being hailed as measured and upbeat because he didn't say sad or get everyone chanting included a promise of a renewal of the American spirit, which is great news for Jack Daniels, and then tons of similar crap he said before, but this time he didn't shout it so people immediately thought it was more sensible. Oh, and Trump paid tribute to the widow of Navy SEAL Ryan Owens who died in a raid in Yemen while Trump was outside the White House operations room tweeting about a TV appearance because it turns out the live footage of a raid in Yemen where loads of innocent people die unnecessarily doesn't feature him, so why the fuck would you bother watching? It's amazing how this week Trump has criticised Arnold Schwarzenegger for leaving The Apprentice, yet when it comes to who Trump's appointed for his own team, he's the terrible boss of a shit show. 
Although it seems a lot of Trump's team would make very good members of the Russian government. For example, Jeff Sessions, attorney general and not so much a musical jam as currently in one, he has recused himself from an investigation into himself, which sounds about right as if he was part of it he might discover what a total racist arsebag is and feel quite sad. He met with Russian ambassador Sergei Kislak twice during Trump's election campaign, which, as Sessions was part of the Armed Services Committee, isn't a bad thing in itself, although judging by his record, anyone meeting with Jeff Sessions is a bad thing for them, in case he makes a racist gag that isn't even trying for irony. But what is bad is that Jeff Sessions lied under oath when he told the Senate that he had no contact with Russian officials during the campaign. Considering that during the Clinton administration's Monica Lewinsky scandal, Sessions said that no one is above law, this time round it seems he was definitely at least trying to stand behind it in a way that it wouldn't see him unless it turned round very quickly. Trump's senior advisor and son-in-law Jared Kushner also met with the same ambassador and it seemed Kislak also attended the Republican convention last year, which makes it really crystal clear that Russia had some hand in Trump's election or Kislak just loves watching a bunch of old white men shouting stuff at people in stupid hats for entertainment, which, let's be fair, is very funny viewing. And this sort of brings us up to Trump's allegations that Barack Obama ordered a wiretapping on the Trump Tower, which, while it wasn't Obama that did that, the fact that this has happened has been reported for a while. The FBI were granted a Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act warrant covering Eldono's ties to Russia, which was granted by the FISA court in October. And that's been known. So, obviously, they thought that there was a very good reason to tap Trump, and we'll have to see exactly what they found. I bet there's some really interesting stuff in there. It's just hidden amongst hours and hours of him shouting for help with using his phone, shouting about crap ratings, and asking for help opening jars that are too big for him. Lucky, lucky FBI. And that is all for this week's Partly Political Broadcast. Um, Thanks, as always, for listening. I mean, bloody hell, 50 episodes, eh? It almost makes me worried about what I've been neglecting while doing this, I say, as I stare at two almost dead plants in my room. But yeah, if you haven't reviewed the show on iTunes, Stitcher or a random public loo wall, then please, please do. Please do join the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash parpolbro or chuck a quid at ko-fi.com forward slash parpolbro if you can. There's a hyphen in there between the KO and the FI. Um... There might not be a show next week, as I'm going to be up in Scotland with my show at the Glasgow Comedy Festival, and then I'm doing some shows in Darlington and CM on the Monday and Tuesday, so I'm not sure if I'm going to have time or the Wi-Fi, but I promise to get some post-spring budget analysis out there when I can. Um, It might just be without an interview, or it might just be an interview without talk, one or the other, Um, and it might also be late, or it might be super early. I mean, really, I'm very vague on details here, but if you would like neither of those, or you would like to tell me how my onions are wrong, or well anything negative or indeed and preferably positive about this show then please do drop me a line at Bro on Twitter the Bro group on Facebook or email me at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com you know like they used to in the old days I'll hopefully reverse here you all next week but if not definitely in two unless this sort of thing has been decided as not patriotic enough and I have to replace it with three hours audio of me waving a flag around goodbye This week's show was brought to you by the number 50 and the letters from you containing presents because I've done so many episodes all by myself like a big boy. What do you mean you need my address to send letters? Hmm, I'm not falling for that one again. No, it was great. Genuinely, genuinely useful. And I think... um... Because, as I said to you, I do try and... I'm trying my very best to keep up with it and there are just bits that I find baffling because uh, it's just so fucking much <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing isn't it I'm like I I feel alright with it because mm. I spend my entire life thinking about it and I can just about hold on what's to hold on to what's going on yeah that's exhausting um, though, isn't it 
<laughs> it's, and I'm, I mean, I'm so bored of following uh, Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, might, I might have to include you saying that at the end of it. <laughs> uh, ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com <laughs>